Welcome to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University. I'm your host, Ian, and along with the staff and students at Belgorod State University, I have taken it on myself to try to introduce you to some extraordinary locals. In this episode, we will meet a man who has forged a career in politics on the back of winning a gold medal as part of the men's volleyball team at the 2012 London Olympics. Love and marriage may go together, in the words of the old song, like a horse and carriage, and the same can be said for sport and politics. In the 6th century, Constantinople, the capital of the Roman Empire had divided loyalties. These weren't, as you might imagine, religious, military, aristocratic or merchant factions, although those were there, along with many others. No, these were four factions of chariot team supporters, known as the Deems. In 532 AD, there was a spot of hooliganism between the blues and the greens. The reds and the whites presumably stayed at home, and the ensuing ruckus claimed so many lives that the Emperor Justinian's troops arrested some supporters for murder and executed all but two of them, one of each colour, who'd scarpered and hid in a church. When the bell tolled for them, the executioner was left idle for a few days, while a riot resembling a civil war burned down half the city. In the end, the so-called Nika riots claimed around 30 thousand lives. They started and ended in the sports stadium. For more on that story, check out the excellent History of Byzantium podcast. Thankfully, rioting in sport is not as horrific these days, but passions still run high. More often nowadays, you will find that politicians, rather than seeking to unleash these emotions to damage their political adversary, will try instead to promote a healthy lifestyle and national unity, brotherhood of man, that sort of thing. This is a recent thing, though. Early psychologists characterised sport as war without the shooting. And there's the commercialisation of sport. An unwillingness of sponsors to be associated with negative behaviour has enforced a culture of the shopping mall on sport. Enthusiastic consumption has replaced violent confrontation in all but the most ardent sporting corners of the world. Sport is still a very big deal and is still manipulated by the powerful to their own ends. For those that participate in elite sports, the popularity achieved during their careers creates for them a special influence in society. While it is true that our sports heroes often have flaws, these are overlooked in favour of the simple everyman narrative. Someone is born poor and through hard work and talent they make it to the top and make their fortune. This is certainly true of Taras Ktay, an extraordinary man, as you will find out. The question that faced Taras and all athletes at the end of their career was how to monopolise on all that cultural capital. In his case, he had made up his mind well in advance of the 2012 Olympics, but for many others, options are limited to coaching their sport or doing something tangentially associated with it. The thing is, while politicians may be attracted to sport for the obvious, though often awkward, populism that can be gained from it, the attraction of politics to the sports star is something somewhat less obvious. The phenomenon of the sports star in politics is as old as sport and politics. A few contemporary examples include Sebastian Coe and John Prescott, a runner and a boxer respectively, and adversaries in the British Parliament. Jim Bunning was an all-star pitcher in baseball before going on to be United States Senator. Everyone knows Arnold Schwarzenegger was an actor, but did you know that he was a bodybuilder and the governor of California? The most successful of the lot was a man who I pestered for an autograph on the boundary of a first-class cricket match in the 90s. 1980s. Imran Khan is now the president of Pakistan and is probably still nice to annoying children. Sport makes relatively few people wealthy, despite the ridiculous amounts paid to footballers, and former athletes mostly work like the rest of us. Taras is working at the volleyball club that he retired at here in Belgorod. It's called Belagoria. Volleyball is bigger than football in our little city, and the big
biggest and newest sports stadium completing construction opposite our wooden cathedral will be the new home for Belagoria. Taras's club has won the Russian League and Cup eight times apiece and the World Club Championship once in 2014. The glory days seem behind them with no trophies for five years as we record this, but Taras and the team are in the process of rebuilding. Well, time will tell. Sport is an optimistic business. A dear friend of mine practically lives at that club. His dad was a player in the successful teams of the 90s and he himself was a youth player until injury and more talented players retired him. He still works there and when I went with him to a game he was treated like a family member. Sasha is a referee now. Nearly everyone born here has a connection to the club in some way, a friend of a friend or a relative. It is part of the fabric of the city. You're listening to Understanding Russia. On to the interview. Dimitri and Taras discuss something that is familiar to them, but that might need a little explaining for the uninitiated. A Duma is a Russian parliament or congress. We have them at state or regional and federal level, that is to say a national parliament. There is no equivalent in the UK, maybe the Welsh Assembly or the Scottish Parliament is equivalent in size and power to a regional Duma. They are a cross between a US state congress and its senate. They have control over policing, sanitation and local business. It is not the city council of Bel- Belgrade, that is what it sounds like. Incidentally, the Russian for council is Soviet, just in case you ever wondered. And while we're on it, Duma is the Russian for place of consideration, whereas the English parliament is a French word meaning place of talking. Who knows, if the place where we decide important matters was called a place of listening, we might all be better off. But I digress, I am a teacher and I couldn't help myself. You obviously wear a few hats, but which one fits you best? Volleyball player, a member of the regional Duma or what? Well, you know, these hats were acquired in different periods of my life. When I was still playing, Olympic champion always sounded nice. I was very lucky that it happened to me. Nowadays, I'm more of a public figure. I tried to popularize sports and help people solve problems I've had to deal with in the past, and there are plenty of those. What are your responsibilities as a Bilogori Volleyball Club Manager? What does your day look like? That is a good question. Very timely, actually, as February is the month when we recruit and plan the team. We are building the team for next year as our place in next year's championship depends on it. In professional sports, the composition of your team plays a crucial role. From the moment I wake up, I'm receiving constant calls. I may answer my phone a hundred times a day. For example, today I rose, ate breakfast, talked to my wife about her plans for the day, drove to our regional administration, presented my report on the development of mass sports in our region, as I'm the president of the Regional Volleyball Federation. And now I'm here talking to you. And after this interview, I'll go and take care of my manager duties. When I'm done with that, I think we will have to have a family supper. And then, of course, I will spend time with my children. I always try my best to dedicate at least two hours in the evening to my children, find out how their day was, what's new in school. My youngest is only five, so she is in kindergarten. So her tales are very interesting. Her imagination is very vivid. I try to go to bed by 11, so I have time time to rest for the next day. At least that's the plan for today, if everything goes without a hitch. It's good that you have time left to spend with your family. Are your Duma duties just as time-consuming? Too time-consuming. Moreover, I'm now a member of the regional Duma, and before that, for seven years, that's two sessions. 
I worked in the city council. I won my seat in the elections that were recently held. It's, it's a serious challenge for me, a step up. I tried to be useful to the community. Many of our citizens have problems. They trusted me, gave me their vote, believed in me and put me in this chamber of the Russian parliament. So I spend a lot of time and energy on public activities. I understand that it's necessary. Every issue, every problem has its own intricacies that require special attention. If a person comes to me, it means I am their last resort. As a rule, if a citizen comes to a deputy or an MP of some kind, it's already a cry for help. Maybe they're fed up with red tape, or some official didn't understand them, or they think they have not been treated fairly. It's our duty to get to the bottom of their problems. Uh, there are deputy inquiries and official phone numbers. One can always call to try and sort everything out. We also can help with the legal side or more complicated issues. I always try to help. They need my help. Okay, we'll return to this later for me. So, when did you move to Belgorod? Oh, I started coming here on a regular basis in 2002. However, I actually moved here only eight years ago. I settled down, put down roots, built a house, planted a tree. We had a son to go with our four daughters. Yes, it was about eight years ago when I moved from Moscow to Belgorod. And why did you move to Belgorod? primary reason was professional for volleyball. I signed a contract with Belagoria. Before that, I played for Dinamo Moscow, MGTU Luzniki Moscow and Iskra Odintsevo. Then I signed for VC Belagoria. What was your first impression of the city? You know, over the past 10 to 15 years, Belgorod has come forward in leaps and bounds. To compare back then, there were no shopping malls, there were fewer cultural events. The city was small, neat, clean and convenient, just like it is today. Uh, the cleanliness distinguishes it from other cities. This is something I know about from experience. In my line of work, I've visited many cities in Russia uh, and around the world, small ones too, just like Belgorod. Around 400,000 people live in the city. I can say that the city was safe, clean and comfortable to live in. This is probably the most important thing for anyone, along with a stable job and income. This town definitely has a bright future. You're listening to Understanding Russia. When did you first become interested in sport? When did all this start? Uh, I perceive sport as a way of life a fundamental standard. Everyone should participate in sports. Sports helps people to be active, stay healthy, develop discipline, and it builds character. All these qualities are necessary for a person to survive in society. It can be any kind of sport. Volleyball, basketball, football, swimming, chess, boxing, fencing, you name it. There are a lot of them out there. Everyone has a talent. I think that our job as experienced people, as coaches, is to point kids in the right direction. It's a common belief that a volleyball player should be tall, thin and bouncy and a basketball player should be big-boned because it's a contact sport. In hockey, the expectations have changed a little bit. Uh, now they also value height, but they still need to be tough guys. A wrestler is usually small and stocky, and every sport has its specific requirements. A football player, for example, has to be able to run fast. Uh, sport is a way of life. Uh, like any ordinary lad, I've tried different things, swimming, chess, boxing, wrestling. I grew up in Zaporizhia in Ukraine. The city is around 250. 50 to 300 kilometers from here. In the end, I followed in my father's footsteps. My father was, and still is, a volleyball team coach. And at that time, he coached the Mechanical Engineering Institute volleyball team. Now he coaches the local factory team. I used to go to his training sessions, watched him play, and tried playing myself. Later, I joined the volleyball club. I already felt I was good at it, maybe a little bit better than the others. I liked it. I had already had some leadership qualities instilled in me. That's how it all started. I followed in my father's footsteps and it resulted in a long and fruitful career. Mm. So your father was your primary influence? Mm -hmm. 
He most definitely played a role. As you've mentioned, you need to have the right body type to suit a particular sport. You have an outstanding physique. What kind of sport would you have chosen had you not opted for volleyball? Obviously, I wouldn't succeed in martial arts. I don't have the right body type. I'd choose basketball. I would love to have played in the NBA. I think with my coordination, my speed of thinking and my physique, I could have done well there. What profession would you have chosen if you hadn't succeeded in volleyball? Well, I mean, who knows? Uh, What were your dreams and ambitions? I knew my plan from the off, and I stuck to it. I wanted to be an athlete, an athlete with a capital A, a professional sportsman, a master of sports. I chose volleyball, it chose me. In my dreams, I saw myself on a volleyball court in the big arenas and the audience applauding. I wanted to learn how to play. You've asked me about my dreams. At that time, I wanted to try playing somewhere in the Italian league, go to another city, see the world. There were more lucrative contracts over there. Now everything has changed, and we have one of the strongest championships in the world. When I learned how to play, I realized I was at professional level here and there was no need to go to another country. I could play here, earn good money, grow as a professional and even play for the Russian national volleyball team. Allow me to digress a little. Everyone knows that you were part of the national team at the 2012 London Olympics. I have to tell you that we appreciate the gold you brought back to Russia then. As a native Belgorodian, I have something to be proud of. What I mean to say is, how did it feel when you calmed down, when your emotions about the victory cooled a little, and you realized you were an Olympic champion? Was it the beginning of something for you, or did you perceive it maybe as the end of your career, or did it fuel a desire to win more medals? Uh, I clearly understood that it was the twilight of my career. I can't imagine now what would have been if victory had not happened, you know. It was a triumph thanks to the work of a big team, the work of the All-Russian Volleyball Federation. They've created a competitive league with strong, world-class players. It's been a long route to get to that medal. We have some outstanding sportsmen like Sergei Tetukhin, who participated in five Olympics, and only once did he become an Olympic champion. It's hard to imagine what would have happened if we hadn't won. Our lives were completely turned up down. At that moment, we felt only relief. A long competition is always a stress for an athlete. We were the first to arrive at the stadium and we were the last to leave. I remember as we were leaving the arena with the gold medals around our necks, fireworks went off, the closing ceremony was in progress. Uh, a triumphant victory, a good close to the Olympics. Of course, I knew then that this was it. This was my last Olympics. Both I and the team had to do our best to win it. After winning, your emotions are overwhelming and your heart is pounding. To wake up the next day and receive national recognition is worth a lot. I'm proud to have this title. There is a lot of work that comes with this status, so I communicate a lot with young people, popularize the sport and promote a healthy lifestyle. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Okay, so for you, it was not the end of your career, but a new beginning in another sphere. Yeah, yes, a new beginning. I understood that it was the end of one chapter. This victory and this medal gave me a future. I felt that people needed me, they were interested in me, and they started inviting me for interviews, just like now. If I had not been an Olympic champion, it's unlikely we would be having this pleasant conversation. But thank you for that. There is a saying, it is not the winning, but the taking part that counts. Obviously, winning is more important for you. What does winning mean to you? Winning means a lot to me in any endeavor, in sport, in business, in anything. 
anything, really. I need a natural conclusion to something. I like to set solid and ambitious goals and diligently move towards them. You need to be patient and to work hard every day to achieve something. The main thing is to have a clear goal in mind, to move towards it step by step. Winning is hard work. There are ups and downs, sometimes you fail. But that's no reason to stop fighting. Life is a competition. You have to be ready for it. Roll with the punches and keep on with ever more perseverance. If you fail, you learn from your mistakes and move on. For me, victory is an important word. It signifies a tremendous amount of work done and courage and joy. Do you regard everything in your life as a victory or a defeat? No, well, sometimes. Sometimes it's just for the participation like anyone else, but I'm a perfectionist. I'm quite critical of myself. I'm used to winning on the court. That's my character. I'm not used to backing down or resting on my laurels. I suppose it goes with the territory for an athlete, for better or for worse, victory, victory, and only victory. What started you in politics? If you think back to the time when I started, being involved in politics was really in vogue, and I enjoyed the idea of becoming a member of a political party. I remember that we were training in Annapa, preparing for the Olympic Games, when a thought popped into my head. I realized I wanted to be a card-carrying member of a political party. I took the first step myself, consciously. I studied different parties and their views, and I decided to join the United Russia Party on my own initiative. I'm very proud to be a member. A lot of my good friends and acquaintances are members of United Russia. I've been a member for 10 years. It was a good move. When I took part in the Olympic Games, I was already a party member. I remember I received a plastic identity card when I joined. I carried it with me and showed it to everyone. It brought me great joy. I've never regretted my decision. I do my work. I move our society forward. I feel like I'm making a difference. Back then, you thought carefully about your decision and became a member of the United Russia Party. And now you have become a member of the Belgorod Regional Duma and know what politics is about. Do you still find it interesting? Yes, very interesting. I'm the kind of person who can't just stand on the sidelines. I have to be involved. This is partly about sport. The state is now setting some serious targets. They want to ensure that children and society as a whole start doing sport. They want to increase the number of people participating in sports from 40 to 60 percent, for example. It's a tremendous job to motivate children and adults to do sport. I consider this my mission, and I'll focus on this for the next five years. As the saying goes, if not us, then who? We have to communicate with children, talk talk to them, tell them our story. It's clear that not everyone can become Olympic champions, but everyone should do sports and shape up. Believe me, sports will definitely come in handy in your life. As for politics, as I said, I've been in politics for eight years. I chose this path myself. For me, sports and politics go together. Again, it all depends on the person, whether it's for you or not. But I chose this path myself after the Olympic Games when I felt that society needed me, that people needed me. I felt that I was being invited places and welcomed everywhere. Let me tell you a story. I came back from the Olympic Games to my place on Pashanaya Street, and it's behind the Hotel Belagoria. I had my house built there, not far from here. There was a huge pothole in the only road out of our residential area. It was full of water, like a pond. In order to cross this pond, you had to walk knee-deep in water. Those who had a car were luckier, but I witnessed how children and women with buggies had to cross this pond, and my heart bled. This problem hadn't been fixed for two years, although it required no serious work, just a simple storm drain. I managed to fix it with one call. People were reacting like, hooray for Taras, the Olympic champion, and it was all fixed. And the residents of my street said to me, Taras, why don't you go into politics if you have this kind of access and this kind of influence? This way you could do a lot of good for people. I was fired up. I talked to my wife about it and she said, why not? So I combined the, the last five years of my sports career with political work, visited city council sessions, helped people, engaged local citizens. That is to say, I did what I could to the maximum of my ability and it all went amazingly well. 
So you were already engaged in politics and well prepared for it, and then you simply made it official. I mean, you already had certain amount of influence, acquaintances and connections, and that helped you a lot. Yes, our city's small. When I came back from the Olympic Games, I was wined and dined by the city's movers and shakers. Either I was invited somewhere personally, or I was a guest at a big event. Over time, I have accumulated a wealth of knowledge and acquaintances. I mean, for instance, I could look at my contacts right now, call the head of the office for the provision of urban amenities, and he would be ready to cooperate with me and help me as much as possible. That's just an example. It's nice to be able to handle things so quickly. That's a good question. What are your political ambitions? My big dream now is to progress my career. There will be elections in September. I'm not sure if it's appropriate to talk about it here. Well, we'll see. Every French soldier carries a marshal's baton in his knapsack. So far, I am a member of the regional Duma, but there may be a change in the near future. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Do you think that today's children have more opportunities than you did when you were a boy? Yes and no. It all depends on how well off the family is. I grew up in an ordinary family. I didn't have anything fancy like trainers, knee pads or special kit that's affordable for most kids today. But then I also know many children these days who can't afford these things. I personally know about large families and children who need help. It's a complicated matter. Has there been a shift though? Are there more children now who have more opportunities than there were then? Well, let's look at it from my point of view. Let's. When I was 12 years old, my grandmother left for the USA to work as a nanny in order to support our family as best she could. I walked her to the tram stop but didn't have any footwear. I didn't have sandals. It was summer, my sandals were worn out. So I went barefoot to the tram stop to bid farewell to my grandmother and see her off. I grew up in a low-income family. My parents separated when I was five years old and my brother and I lived with my mother. My mother was a physical education teacher, an ordinary teacher. My grandmother worked as a trolleybus driver for 20 years and then she left for America. Unfortunately, we never had the chance to see each other again, God bless her. She was coming back to Russia. She wanted to meet us and give everyone a hug, but she died on the way in Vienna. She had cancer. Life was hard. Our father would show up from time to time and then disappear. It's better now. We have a warm and friendly relationship. It, it wasn't easy for me, but I was really motivated to do sports. Maybe that was what pushed me towards the elite. Maybe it was the social ladder that I climbed. After all, I understood that all I had was my personal skills and that my only way to success was through volleyball. Do children have more opportunities now? I think they do. There are sports halls and recreational complexes. There are people who are engaged in developing their talents. Things are different now. There are computers and we have the internet. Kids are more preoccupied. They spend more time staring at screens. Cyber sports are a thing now. We see how huge their fan base is. The situation is a little ambiguous here, but children today have every necessary assistance when it comes to engaging in popular sports, and you better believe that we are doing all we can at state level as well. I didn't experience it personally, because I wasn't alive then. But as far as I know, the general circumstances in which you grew up were difficult and disadvantaged. Ordinary people had it rough in those days. Did you feel that your opportunities were limited on a personal level? You mentioned sports equipment. Did you feel that lack? Or did you not even know you could buy that kit in those days? I knew about it and dreamed about having it. When I was able to buy knee pads for $15, I was over the moon. I wore them until they had holes in them and even after I should have tossed them. You can't imagine what they look like. Of course, I had nothing, so I daydreamed a lot. Then I moved to Moscow. That was a bit later. I finished years 8, 9 and 10 and 11 of my schooling in Moscow. When I was 16, I brought my first ASICS trainers. I was overcome with excitement and felt like a superhero. So back then, even simple things made me happy.
Was it hard to train during that period? What difficulties did you experience in addition to having no money and no kit? At 14, I moved to Moscow. After living in Zaporizhia, Moscow was a huge metropolis for me. I was completely skint. I mean, at the time, I couldn't rustle up 10 rubles for a hot dog. And I was too embarrassed to ask my mother for money because after we moved to Moscow, specifically for me to train, she tried to literally take any job she could. We cleared snow for money. I tried to help her after training, but late in the evening, so as not to be seen by my peers, they lived there next to the school, and I was embarrassed, ashamed about clearing snow. Anyway, I knew that I had to help my mother. My brother and I shoveled snow together. My brother also moved to Moscow for me. He also finished school there. Then when he left school, they moved back home. That was the most difficult moment for me in Moscow because I felt homesick, lonely, and uncertain of whether it was possible to achieve my goal at all. I had doubts. My mother always kept saying that she saw how determined and focused I was and how I trained and grew. When we moved to Moscow without having our own place to live, it seemed to me that I could easily let my family and friends down. They suffered for my sake. In Zaporizhia, at least we had a small flat and we could scrape a living. Although it was modest, we were comfortable there. But in Moscow, we had absolutely nothing. My mother did retail security at night and during the day she shoveled snow in order to earn money to look after my brother and me. It was a very hard, extremely hard life. But I became accustomed to it over time. Then they left and I received my first money. The coaching team granted me a small allowance. Bauman Moscow State Technical University team. I'm very grateful to Yuri Vasilievich Nicheski, my first professional coach. I am also grateful to Olga Yurevna Verbova, my first ever coach, who worked with me when I was a child and sent me to Moscow. I developed my personality during that period of time. It was challenging, but I managed to pull through. Do you miss that time? Yes, of course, as any kid would miss their friends and best years of the senior school. Um, unfortunately, and to my shame, I haven't attended any alumni meetings yet. I was always too busy. I'd love to meet my classmates and see how they've changed, but these meetings, I usually can't get away from work to go to Moscow for these reunions. Of course, I have a certain nostalgia for those times. They were fascinating. Despite the fact that it was hard? Absolutely. When I think back now, it's with fondness. Yes, there were challenges. Yes, it wasn't easy, but nothing is easy, even now. So we're almost finished. A purpose of nothing. What do you like most about Russian culture? Russian culture? The Russian soul. I like the good old traditions. Everything is moving towards digitalization, IT and machines, but I like simple pleasures. I love nature, a Russian banya, the Russian soul, Russian cuisine, borscht, I love it. I love to get away from it all and leave the hustle and bustle behind. This Picture this, a river, a hamlet, a banya, food, friends and all that sort of thing. Russian traditions. Russian vodka and sala. It's good that you explained it. I understand it perfectly as a Russian person. But for our foreign listeners, it may be incomprehensible. Do you think that there are any threats to Russian culture? No, I think that there are no threats. And our people are fully aware of our history, traditions and national principles. This is very encouraging. It makes me proud to know that our domestic tourism is developing. I think it's very cool, especially at this time. So I recommend it. I haven't been anywhere special myself, but there are so many beautiful places, so many nationalities in Russia, and each of them have their own culture. There's a lot to learn. Well, of course, it takes time and money, but I'm glad that our tourism is developing. I heard that a Slobozhanshina has been opened in our region. It's quite an interesting place. They teach traditional arts and crafts there. These are the kind of things that should be encouraged, I think, and the more of them, the better. Taras Yurovich, could you please describe the Russia in which you would like your grandchildren to live? 
I believe that Russia is a strong power. Our country is modern and developed. Yes, there's a lot of work to do, but I like that I'm here and I like the fact that if I do something, I am doing something for the benefit of generations to come. My children live in the Russian Federation. They all study and grow up here. They are all here in Belgorod region and will remain here, I think. Yes, I will do everything for my children, everything in my power, so that Russia remains strong and future generations will be proud of us. You're listening to Understanding Russia. Two things that Taras and Dmitri mentioned at the end are banyas and sala. The former is a Russian version of the sauna or Turkish bath, and sala is the fattest part of bacon, often with little or no meat, that is cured by smoking or salting and mixed with spices in the process. It is eaten with garlic and dried fried bread and washed down with vodka. If you do this whilst having a banya, then you are on the road to truly understanding the Russian soul. Learning the balalaika and buying a pet bear are optional. Thank you for listening to Understanding Russia. If you want to contact us, you can get in touch with us via our website at urpod.net, where you can find all our social media links, or via email, understandingrussia at gmail.com. We will be very happy to hear from you. You have been listening to Understanding Russia, a student-led podcast from Belgorod State University.